So this morning, we are continuing our series, Hope for the Holidays. And the good news is you've made it. Much of the busyness, much of the scurrying around, all that stuff, most of it is behind us. Maybe some of you still have a giant meal planned or people still coming over. And that can be a little bit anxious, I understand that. But take a breath. You've made it. It's Christmas Eve. And this amazing thing we get to do as the family of God gather here this morning. For me, this is the best part of Christmas. Now, when I was a kid growing up, my family didn't go to church very often. And so uh, Christmas was way less about uh, church and way more about gifts and meals with family. Meals with family are a good thing. But for us, it was driving all over on Christmas Day and two hours with this family so we could spend one hour with that part of our family so we could do two hours with that part of crazy. So I'm grateful now that we have this place here where we come and most of our family live (laughs) quite a ways away, so we will visit them after Christmas. Christmas is going to be a fun time um, with the Ringheims at their place. They've invited us into their family, Um, but it's going to be slower and good. I'm looking forward to it. And like I've been talking about recently, meals are important, and I look forward to some of those meals that we have. I know some of you, not just for the food that we're going to eat, but for the people who will be around the table with us. The meals will be good. These last few weeks, we've been talking about hope for the holidays. Last week, we talked, we were reading through Matthew chapter 24, talking about Christ's return, talking about how we look forward to that with expectation, with hope that expects, and we look forward to him returning again. We pray, Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus, come. We desire to see him come and bring his kingdom and make this place right again. If you remember last week, we talked some about keeping three things through this season. Advent reminds us to keep faith, reminds us to keep hope, reminds us to keep watch, and reminds us to keep watching, or excuse me, keep living faithfully. And so this morning, as we have that in the back of our minds, we circle back around to the birth of Christ, to his first coming. For those of you who were this uh, last week, we were talking about how last week didn't feel like a very Christmassy sort of uh, topic, a very Christmassy text to read. This morning is very much a Christmas text. We focus on Jesus, the fact that he came. But I also can't help but wonder how, if over the centuries, if we as a church have heard the story so many times that we begin to lose our fascination with the reality that God became human and came to save us. The sheer wonder of it can begin to wear off. We can even begin maybe to take it for granted a bit. I mean, we've heard the story so many times. Jesus in a manger, the animals gathered around, the angels singing, shepherds coming, magi coming. It can be hard for us, or we can begin to lose sight of the fact that not only was his coming foretold by the prophets, but Jesus, in his amazing uh, wisdom, came and fulfilled those prophecies so that we could recognize him, that we could recognize who he is, that he actually came. It wasn't just hope uh, deferred and deferred and deferred. Christ came. God took on flesh and came for us. 
Now, I know we've heard the stories. We, you know, we know of Mary and Joseph. We know of Magi and shepherds. They can begin to, in some ways, cause us to lose sight of the fact that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us, and he is Yeshua, God saves. These two names, we'll be talking some more about them this morning. So I've been thinking about it this week. How do we keep the wonder of Christmas for us? How do we keep the fascination? How do we keep cultivating our fascination with this amazing reality that God became human and came for us? I don't know about you, but I want more of Jesus this time of year. I want more of Jesus in Christmas. I want my sons to look forward to Christmas, not because of all the stuff we're going to get, because of Jesus. And I see them, I see them try. Oh, Dad, we can't wait for Christmas. Here's all the stuff we want. Oh, yeah, and we are so excited for Jesus' birthday, too. <laughs> Just because they know that's the right answer. <laughs> but I don't know about you, but even me, I wrestle with that some. I want this to be all about Jesus. Christmas Eve and Christmas Advent leading up to him. To be all about Jesus. So how do we do that? How do we cultivate that? How do we keep growing that, nurturing that? So that Christmas doesn't just become about stuff and parties we have to go to and meals we need to eat and stuff we need to buy and stuff we want to get. But it stays focused on Jesus and who he is. Well, I have some good news. I think maybe I found a good place to start for us this morning in Scripture, in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. If you want to open up your Bibles, please open up to Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, or if you want to, it's also in your bulletin if you'd like to open it there. So read this along with me. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, Yeshua, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did just what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Ultimately, this text is about Jesus. It reveals to us who Jesus is, reveals to us who God is, that even at his birth, even Before he was born, we could begin to recognize that this child is born both of 
of a human mother and a divine father. That he is the Mashiach. He is the Messiah, the Christ. Christ is not his last name. (laughs) Christ is his title, the anointed one, the great king that Israel had been looking for, the great savior that the world had been waiting for. We are meant to realize all of this, even in this first text of Jesus. Now, it's true, there's tons to reflect on in this passage. When we could reflect on the surprising way God works. I mean, it's a bit different in our culture, but it was absolutely scandalous that God would choose to work through a virgin giving birth to a son. Because Mary and then Joseph, by his dream, were the only two who knew the real story. From the outside looking in, it looks like a horribly sinful and shameful situation. I mean, there's really no good way to look at this. If you don't know that angels had done this, if you didn't know the Holy Spirit had conceived this child in Mary, if you didn't know that the angel had spoken to David, or sorry, to Joseph, it just looks horrible from the outside. I mean, think of the pickle that, that Joseph is in. Nobody else knows he's had a dream. How do you verify a dream? How do you prove that to someone? At very worst, he looks like a scoundrel who got Mary pregnant before they were married, which was shameful in his culture. Or he looks like a worm of a man who is married to a woman who is unfaithful to him, even before they were married. Again, shameful and embarrassing. What does Joseph do with that? I mean, we, could t- we could take hours to, to reflect on that. Or we could take just time to look at Joseph's faithfulness. That despite this difficult situation that absolutely changed his life. I don't know if you've seen the movie The Nativity. Um, our family watches it every Christmas Eve. But you see how shameful it is for Joseph and Mary. Before they are respected people of their community, But then as she begins to show and people know that they're not married yet, they begin to look down on both of them, rejecting both of them, shaming both of them until they both finally leave when Joseph has to take Mary to Bethlehem to register with taxation. We see Joseph and his faithfulness. Despite all of this, he continues, he does what God has commanded him to. In the text says he obeys. He faithfully obeys, takes Mary into his home, at great cost to him, his honor, his, probably his livelihood, even maybe in his community in Nazareth. We could spend hours talking about Joseph's faithfulness, his model to us, that in Scripture we don't hear a word from him. He gives no speeches, he gives no songs, not a word, just his obedience, his faithfulness. But like I said, this morning is not about them. It's not about the scandalous situation. It's not about Joseph. It's about Jesus. It's about him. That Jesus is revealed in his names. If you look at verse 21, it says, she will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now, many of you know this, but some of you may not, that Jesus Our English version is actually the English version of the Greek word Yesu. Yesu 
is the Greek translation of the Hebrew word Yeshua. Yeshua means salvation. Ah means God, meaning God saves. In his very name, Jesus is our Savior. I love this part because unlike many parts of Scripture, this is not coy. There's, there's not some subtle hint at who he is. There's not uh, an obscure allusion to an Old Testament text that we have to go back and read the context to understand. It's just plain. It's as if it's blurted out for us. Jesus is our Savior. Stated plainly, boldly, clearly that he is here to save his people. Jesus, Yeshua, God saves. He's here to save his people. Who are his people? On the one hand, it is Israel. That's who the Messiah came to save. That's Israel. But also, to save all those Gentiles, the whole world, who would be grafted into him. I'm not sure where the fuzz is coming from. Maybe I'm standing too close. Yeah. Is that it? Do I need to, is it, is it here, Rick? Okay. I don't hear it anymore. It's, it's gone. Okay. That um, Jesus come to save his people, Israel first, but also every Gentile who would believe into him, whether they came from, from Israel or Canada or the Middle East or China or India, everyone is included in this. Everyone can be grafted in through faith. And Jesus came as this Messiah not to come and change things through military power, not by political power, but by being born into a manger, into a backwater town in the middle of the Roman, actually at the edge of the Roman Empire, to live humbly, to show people what God is like, to come into a very religious time when people had all sorts of wrong ideas about who Yahweh was. He shows them who God really is, gracious and merciful, patient and gentle and humble so humble that he would obediently follow God, that he would die and die on a cross to save us. This Jesus, this God who saves, has come to give us life more full. Even right now, the moment we begin believing into him, how our lives change. But not only that, but life that begins now and continues on forever with him. This amazing, rich, new life to save us. They gave him the name Jesus. But they also gave him the name or said that he would be called Emmanuel. Emmanuel is in Hebrew literally Emmanuel with us El, God. The God who is with us. The with us God. It says in verse 23, the virgin will be with a child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. If you remember, these words come from Isaiah. 
the prophet Isaiah spoke these words 735 years before Jesus came. And then Jesus, in his power and his wisdom, fulfilled this prophecy. Fulfilled it in a way that we would recognize who he is. So that maybe we'd begin to understand or begin to trust the amazing reality that God, who is all-powerful, all-knowing, outside of time, would take on flesh and become limited in space, limited even in knowledge, limited in when he even knew about his own return. Only the Father knows this. That God would become human. Now this is through the centuries of the church, this has been difficult for people to hear. That God would become fully human and that a fully human God, a fully human person could also be equally God. Throughout the centuries, there have been different theologians who've gotten it wrong. You have, the, you have Arius, um, who lived hundreds of years ago, um, and even the Mormon church today or the Jehovah Witness church today who say that Jesus was a great man, an amazing teacher, even maybe even became divine by his faithfulness, but was not God. And I say, how can anybody earn divinity? How can anyone by the way they live, earn godliness. Earn to be God. Cannot. It's just too high, too far. But then some have gone the other way too and said that Jesus being very God could not possibly have been human also. That either he was a hologram, to use our current words, of a human, and we just thought he was human. Or that he was God driving a, a human shell, like a car, but not really human. And as Christians through the centuries have debated this, how can a God, how can he save humanity if he doesn't become fully human? He is God with us. That he came from the heights of heaven this all-powerful, all-knowing God outside of time came to the very depths of humanity to save all of us. He didn't come to the social elite and stop there. He didn't come to the middle class and go no further. He came to the very bottom, to a young woman who gave birth to him in a cattle stall and then laid him in a manger, in a food trough. The depths that God went to to redeem us. It's amazing when you think of it. I love it how Eugene Peterson wrote it in his paraphrase in the message. He said, God took on flesh and moved into the neighborhood. Think about that in terms of our own lives. That's maybe a way we can look at it to help us understand. Because we think about, you know, what kind of neighborhoods do we want to live in? And yet Jesus moved into an animal barnyard. So poor, so humble, 
that he was laid in the food trough. This is the amazing God that we serve. And it'd be hard not to take this for granted. (laughs) It's good when we gather for Christmas Eve that we talk about this reality. The amazing thing that God has done. That he is Emmanuel. God with us. And here's the amazing thing. He is God with us always. I mean, as you read scripture, I mean, we've talked just about a few of these places. Isaiah, the words of the prophet spoke 735 years before Jesus. The virgin will give birth to a son and you will call him Emmanuel, God with us. Then, as the text we're reading this morning, Matthew, we see that Jesus takes on, he fills out this prophecy and really does become God with us. I think about the words that he reminded of his, or he reminded his disciples before he ascended into heaven. He said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me. Therefore, go into all the world, baptizing people in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And truly, very truly, I will be with you always to the very end of the age. But what about even the things that John saw in Revelation? Revelation 21, after the new heavens and the new earth have come down. He says, look, God is dwelling with his people. And he's actually present there. They will be his people and the the Lord will dwell with them and be their God. God present with us. No longer separated, no longer maintaining distance and, and authority and height above us, but coming and dwelling with us. The with us God. These two names in this text... They reveal who he is. That Jesus is the God who saves us and at the same time, he is Emmanuel, the God who is with us. He is the God with us, the with us God, and he is the save us God. All wrapped together in this tiny little child lying in a food trough. I love it because it reveals who Jesus is And Jesus reveals who God is. Jesus didn't send, didn't drop leaflets from heaven for us to read and figure out who he is. Jesus didn't even send an angel to go and speak on his behalf to walk the dirty ground and get his feet dirty. Jesus didn't send anyone. He came himself. This is the God that we serve. This is our Lord who doesn't send, but he comes. He doesn't send someone else to save us. He saves us himself. And not just come and say, stand on a high mountain or two feet above it and say, you are all saved, but came as a lowly child in a backwater part of the Roman Empire, lived a humble life, showed us what God is like, and then died a death on a cross. One of the most humiliating ways to die for a Jew in the first century. This is how God shows us who he is. This is the God we serve. This is our with us God, our Savior God. This is what we are celebrating this morning. This is what we are celebrating, this God that we serve. And I couldn't help but think 
this morning of how God guides us, how it shapes the way we are to live our faith as well. We today, we are the flesh and bone of the gospel. You are the church, the body of Christ. You are the hands. We are the hands and feet of Jesus in this community. We are the incarnation of God here. And as I spend time in our community, I find that most people aren't really waiting for a better theological explanation of who Jesus is and why they should follow him. The most powerful way we speak in our community is faithful obedience. Maybe we are learning from Joseph today. The words we speak, absolutely they matter. That when we have that opportunity, when someone says, so why are you doing this? We have an opportunity to share with them because to tell them how Jesus has changed our lives. But I'll tell you, one of the most important ways we uh, cultivate God's kingdom in this community is by blessing people. By serving people. By looking for meaningful gifts that will bring a smile to someone's face. Or by knowing them well enough, listening to them long enough to know the words that would encourage them. We become hands and feet when we invite our neighbors to gather around the table with us to share a meal together and to pray for the Holy Spirit's presence an opportunity to, to talk with them, to encourage them. We are hands and feet when we serve our community. When we show up. When we aren't just waiting for the community to show up here, but we go out into our community and bless. I love this morning. As we look at Jesus and what he reveals to us about God, Jesus shows us who God is. And we are the church. We go and show people who Jesus is. That's our role in this. So this morning, as we hear amazing news, that Jesus is God with us, Emmanuel. He is also Jesus, Yeshua, God who saves us. I pray that it also guides us in the way that we live. That today, tomorrow, this week, at some point, we go out and bless our community. Find someone in our community, find some way to bless them. This is the good news this morning. This is Merry Christmas. Amen.